The middle schoolers are dismissed for Sunday school, but I won't blame you if you don't leave right away. Because I brought a cool prop. A sword was the most powerful symbol of the Roman Empire. And it was the most destructive weapon in the ancient world. And Christians usurped its symbolism and took it to mean it symbolizes now the word of God, far more powerful than any man-made weapon, the spiritual weapon of the gospel that would translate and change the world. And so we'll see in Paul's uh, sixth chapter, verse 17, he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So you may be wondering why uh, our image for Ephesians, God's new society has a sword. It is the very word of God symbolized here. Like you, if you have your Bible, lift your, your Bible. If anyone brought their Bible to church, maybe you have a tablet or something. It symbolizes the very word of God that cuts through things, right? It gets to the heart of the matter. And it penetrates. The Bible talks about it almost like a scalpel in a surgeon's hand. The bone and marrow. It's the very heart and soul of the matter. What will you do with this person called Jesus? How will you respond? The more we know how to handle God's word, the more useful we will be to God's purposes in the world. And so uh, today, before we continue with sword practice, I'm going to set this down before I hurt myself. I think it's important that we open in prayer for the seed company, this incredible work that they're a part of and that we are a part of. As you heard in the video, the goal is by 2025, God's word translated in every language. How amazing how that lines up with our We Are Family uh, vision plans of these next few years. Even as God is, is calling us and leading us to that new venture of expanding our campus to have more opportunities uh, to teach and serve in our community, we are part of a global movement. That 200 million people don't have a single verse of God's word in their heart language. But we are the generation to end Bible poverty. Is that worth praying for? Let's pray. Father God, help us. We need your help to speak and listen and understand and believe and live out the truth of your word. So God, we pray for Bible translators. Father, we pray that they would hear your voice to them personally this day. Spirit God, we pray for the inspiration of your word in translating the word accurately and in a way that people can understand, Lord God. We want to abide by uh, the passage in Deuteronomy 4, too, that says we will never uh, add nor subtract from your word, but we'll just give it as you have inspired the authors to write it. And Lord Jesus, we pray for the community of translators in the communities where they are sent, Lord God, we pray for transformation and breakthrough, for gospel-driven ministries, Lord, for open hearts to hear your good news. We give this 
our great joy and privilege, Lord, this morning to open your word, to read it by your spirit, to understand it and apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians again as we continue our series. We're going to be wrapping up chapter 1, so I'll be reading to you chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. And you can just listen if you don't have the text with you. The Apostle Paul writes this, For this reason, because I heard of your faith in Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which, you've, to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great power, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so we've, we've talked about the opening uh, part of this, of this letter where Paul gives this incredible 200-word, uh, long run-on sentence, no punctuation of praise to God. And he says, therefore, given all the incredible spiritual blessings we have in Christ, now he wants to pray for the church. And he prays that the eyes of our hearts would be open to see the Lord. Now, Paul, as you know, who've been following the series, he's in prison. He's in Rome right now, but he's heard. He says here, I've heard of your faith in Jesus and of your love for one another. And so he's moved to respond in this way, to remind them of God's great promises and, and love for one another. And, and I want to sort of follow the apostles' uh, lead here by saying, I have seen your faithfulness to Lord Jesus, church, and your love for one another through this whole 16 months of COVID-19. And we know we're not there yet. It won't be completed until worldwide it is, but I've seen your faithfulness, your allegiance to Jesus, your love for one another, and love for people in our community. So Paul's saying, in effect, I, I, I see the evidence Sort of like the song that Rob just introduced. I see the evidence of, of your trust, your allegiance to Jesus. I see that the cross looms big in your life because daily you take up your cross and you're willing to sacrifice for one another. I see that the rolled away a stone from the tomb looms large in your life because you are willing to go in and explore even into dark places to find out what's really going on. And I see that the empty tomb looms large in your life, church in Ephesus and Christians today, because you are living and walking in that victory. And you're willing to go out like those first disciples and bring the good news to a world in need. And so he, he celebrates this. He celebrates the love of God the Father upon you before the world began. The promises of his 
rich and glorious inheritance in the future and the power available to us in the present. Paul packs all of that in just a few words. It's, it's quite something how he does that. Time and again, Paul will pack a ton of theology, a ton of things that we're to, to believe in here and in here in just a matter of a few words. Uh, yesterday, our elders and, and leadership met on Zoom call to figure out the wording for uh, the church's stance and response to all that's happening from the CDC and state of Washington. So we were really getting into uh, figuring out the wording and, and using as few words as possible. And I was reminded, I told everyone of Mark Twain once famously said, um, I would have written less if I had more time. It, it's hard to, to consolidate, but Paul, a time and again, consolidates. He just gets the, the gospel and the good news in a nutshell. Here's an example, Romans 8.30. He writes, those whom God predestined, he also called those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's a matter of a few words. So when Paul's thinking of this church in Ephesus, so far away that he's, he planted and he's hearing what's happening there, he knows he's, they're facing huge problems and are in great need. Verse 17, and so he prays, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul prays that his friends would know God more deeply. So imagine if there could be a conversation between Paul and one of these folks here in Ephesus or the surrounding churches. Of course, they're 1,200 miles apart, so no cell phone coverage there 2,000 years ago. But just, just go with me, run, run with me, okay? And so the person from Ephesus gets a hold of Paul. He gets this one call a week, let's say, and he says, Paul, I'm so glad you're here to help. Yes, I'm here to help. Okay, because we have some serious problems. I, I know. So you'll help us, right? I, th- these are big issues, and they're complicated issues. I mean, people are disagreeing about things. We don't know what to do. That's why I'm here. Great. Because the last time we asked for your practical advice, you told us to pray. And we really need a little bit more than that this time. I hear you. Okay, great. Because when I lay out to you exactly what's happening, we know you're wise. We know you can tell us exactly what to do to solve this problem. So, Paul, will you give us the practical, just play-by-play, one through three, whatever we need to do, just tell us what to do. No problem. Okay, well, what is it? I'm going to pray that you trust God. That's basically what we have here. Trust God. Know God. Why? With all the problems that they have, with with all the hardships and the complications and people people being divided and confused, why know God more? Because knowing God will be their supreme blessing. The, the, the greatest blessing anyone can experience is to know God, to know our creator, our maker, our master, more and more every day. Nothing will move your soul, tame the mind, fire up the spirit, like knowing God more, seeking, investigating, diving deeper into subjects, not just a subject, a person, not just a person, a reality, more than a reality, the one. And so the best advice that Paul can give 
on the outset of this letter written from prison is to pray that they would see all that they already have in Christ. Everything we just sang about. That they would know the provision that God has already given to them. And that that's all they need. This amazing list of provisions. I'm going to date myself. We used to sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You remember that? Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up. Paul says, that's the most important thing that I can offer to you today. Not just information in one ear and and out the other. and not, Not just reciting something that's flashed on the screen, but something that goes deeper than that, something that's like, like muscle memory. So when you're in that struggle, you just respond because you've been training that sword training or, or that pilot training. Where's Jamie? He's a pilot. You just know what to do. You hit that storm. You just, you just know here and here. That's what Paul is praying. And that means an encounter with God that is transformative. It means an encounter with God that is demanding. I promise you, look at the examples of the apostles who were first disciples, who were first just a couple of fishermen and and vagabonds. It will scare you. And so you come to me and say, well, pastor, what, what do I do? I say, take, read, eat, of God's word, we meditate. In the Hebrew, the word for, for meditate, it actually represents a cow chewing on its cud. I just chew, savor God's word. And you say, okay. I did what you told me to do. Here, I read it all. Okay. Well, what did you learn? What did you experience? What did you see? Uh, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Let's try again. Take the living word of God, the unchanging truth in an ever-changing world. Take, study, dive deep, and then let's talk. Okay. Okay, what did you learn? I was reminded of all those stories I learned in Sunday school. I learned that, that Jesus loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life? Let's try one more time. Because I know something deeper can happen. I know if you seek out God, to know him more deeply, something else will happen. So come back in a year. Okay. So how'd it go? It scared me. I don't want to believe in a God like that because he's asking for too much in my life. And he's showing things, he's revealing things. I don't talk about with anyone. I don't want to deal with that. And yet he loves me. That's what it looks like to know God more deeply. So Paul prays this this knowing, this experiencing, this captivating work of Christ would come into their lives. 
Paul knew this personally. Did you know this is quite interesting? Only four times in all of Paul's letters does he pray that the church would have this knowledge. And do you know the four letters that he, he includes that as, as a prayer? It's his four prison letters. Quite, quite interesting. It's extraordinary. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. The four letters in which Paul is in shackles, he includes the prayer for the people that they would know God more deeply. Why? Because when you are being persecuted, when you are being weighed down, when you are trapped in addiction, you need to know God more to release you. Give you an example of Paul's own situation, Philippians 3.8. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. So here are the saints in Ephesus and the surrounding area facing their own issues, different from ours, but just as huge, just as complicated. And this is what Paul offers. Verse 18, have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. Not only for the sake of your circumstances, but of knowing what's really going on in the world. Who is Jesus? Where is Jesus right now? And what is he going to do in the very near future? The Bible talks about knowing as being far deeper than head knowledge or even heart. It's, a, it's an experience of joy. Paul talks about this. Look with me. Let's just flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. I know it's one of the verses that hasn't been purchased yet, so let's get on it, folks. Uh, verses, the, the end of chapter 5, he's talking about the love of Christ. And he's talking about husbands and wives, the relationships between husbands and wives. And then he speaks here at the end, verse 31. He quotes from Genesis. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And so he's giving a, a little mini teaching there on marriage, the gift of, of the union between husband and wife. And he says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it that it refers to Christ and the church. Well, Paul's, at this point, towards the end of the letter, he's, he's grasping to try to make sense of it to the people. This kind of knowing is like the knowing between two lovers, husband and wife. Yesterday, May 15th, is a very special day to me and to Cheryl, my wife. We don't celebrate Valentine's Day. We celebrate May 15th, the anniversary of our first date. Yeah, 28 years. She asked me out. Just want that for the record. She asked me out. We went to see, we went to see the musical Evita, and we didn't have a plan for dinner because I didn't have any money or car. She drove. And so we ended up at Safeway, and we got some Hot Pockets. And we stayed up all night, and Cheryl... I think you left like 4.30 in the morning to drive to San Francisco to run in the Beta Breakers race. And so we celebrate every year. And we played, Don't Cry for Me, Argentina. And Cheryl sat there looking a little disgusted as I ate both Hot Pockets. And cheese is just like burning, bubbling cheese. Like, you read the instructions, Pete. And we were asleep by 10 p.m. But that's, that's aside the point. 28 years of life together. 
And it has always been romantic. Had our share of ups and downs. What couple can't speak to ups and downs and hard times? But I am still captivated by this woman. She got a message from our niece, and I asked permission, can I share this? She said, you're always looking for sermon illustrations. I said, I know, but this is a really good one. I'm like, okay. So we're sitting there last night, and she, she, she got a message from our, our niece, Renee. Renee and Henry, they just graduated from Boise State, uh, and they've been married since last December, so a year and a half of marriage. They celebrated their graduation together. And so our niece, Renee, sent Aunt Cheryl some information, and it listed off my address. And Cheryl thought, isn't that interesting? She hasn't quite gotten there yet where it's our address. It's, it's her address. It's my life. It's my 28 years. This is, this is our life. This is my house. No, it's our house. It your house. That's the kind of relationship that God wants you to know in knowing him. And as deep as we can know God in this way, What's so sad to me is this, and this is why I'm really driving home this as a subject for this morning's message, because I think this is, I would say, my biggest concern for for this body of believers and for you at home that are watching. How sad it is that we can have so much knowledge and ability in our professional lives and so much information at our fingertips And even if you have a few friends, but isn't it great to have real deep friends? And so many of us enjoy that. And yet we settle for knowing God only superficially. I wanted to bring a cardboard cutout of some famous person. I don't know. I was trying to trying to find a, an actor or a celebrity or someone that we'd all recognize, a cardboard cutout where I could say, I know this person. And we would laugh because it's so ridiculous. This is a cardboard, paper-thin cutout of a person. I don't know this person, but it looks like them. And how sad it would be to know God so superficially when we have everything, we have everything, we have every opportunity to know him more deeply. So Paul prays, eyes of our heart, it's a metaphor it's perceiving, it's experiencing, it's, it's thinking that's directing our will. I'll tell you another story. This past week, uh, Joe and I had lunch with Pastor Paul Kim from Woven Community Church, a church that we're uh, building a relationship with. Pastor uh, Kim's going to probably come this summer to preach at least uh, one, uh, once this summer. He said something really interesting. We were talking about uh, how we perceive things and how we interpret things and how we think about things. And he said, you know, Pete, that's why they call it a train of thought, because your thoughts take you in a particular direction. I never thought about that. So Paul doesn't pray for their health or job or a solution to the huge problems in their life or in our lives. At one level, that's what a lot of people ask. That's what they ask for. As a church, we're trying to figure out, well, how do we meet those, that level of need? There seems to be a lot of need. Do we meet those felt needs in our community. So at one level, we do want to be sensitive to that. We want to hear that. But there's a deeper level or a higher level of knowing God. I, I believe that we could commit half our budget to meeting felt needs in our community. 
would be wildly popular, but it would be paper thin than knowing God deeply. Because your feelings and your thoughts take you down a track in a particular direction. You feel left out. You feel alone. You feel empty and anxious. Even though in this place and in this community, you're included, you have a home, you have food on the table, a bank account. You don't have to worry about crime in this community. You don't have to worry about your house being broken into or burned down. Not to the degree that brothers and sisters around the world do, and yet we can meet all of these practical needs at one level and miss the deeper level of knowing God. See, oftentimes God doesn't change our circumstances that are difficult, even though we pray for it. Instead, God changes the way we see, think, and feel about those circumstances. So we learn from Paul how to pray through those difficult circumstances. And he goes on to get specific here with three specific ways to pray. Hope that they'll, the, the hope of the calling in their lives from the past, number one, the glorious inheritance in the future, number two, and the greatness of God's power towards those who believe, number three, in the present. And we focused a lot on, on what God has accomplished for us in the past. So we're not going to spend a lot of time there, that hope, that, that real hope. Not like, I hope that I win this racehorse, uh, this, this ticket is valued at something and there's a drug. No, not that kind of hope. Like, real hope. We've talked about that. And we've looked at the, the riches of his glorious inheritance. But I do want to point this out. Uh, look at verse 18 with me just briefly. So that first prayer in the past, we've covered that for the past couple of weeks. We've also talked about this glorious inheritance. But notice this. Look at verse 18. When we think about the inheritance that we have that is ours in Christ, we think about going to heaven, right? Absolutely. Yes and Amen. And yet it says here, the inheritance in the saints. And there's an amazing thing that's happening here. I just want to point out to you to go a little bit deeper, and that's this. On one level, yes, it is the inheritance that we receive in Christ, that, that the church will be raised in Christ, will be glorified, we will be heirs and co-heirs with Christ. But it says here, inheritance in the saints. And so the Greek actually is showing a, a different understanding. It's showing also that the church itself is the inheritance given to the Son. Does that make sense? So on one level, we receive an inheritance uh, of, of glory in the future. But on another level, the Father is saying, Son, are you ready? And Jesus says, I've been ready forever, literally. And the Father says, here it is, your bride, the church, your inheritance why you suffered for the joy set before you. The church itself is the inheritance of Christ. I just think that was a beautiful thing to mention, but only briefly because I want to focus with the attention I have for just a few more moments on this extraordinary gift. Look at verse uh, uh, 19, the present power that is ours. Look at verse 19. 
What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And I want to focus here, Lord God. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord Jesus. I, this is my prayer for this, our church. These people are, are just wanting these quick answers. We want to get through things, but we're missing, Lord God, knowing you and the power available to you, Jesus. And so this week, a pipeline in the Southeast was shut down by Russian hackers, right? And they paid that $5 million ransom. You know it won't be the last one. You never pay a terrorist, right? They'll be back. And they said, the experts said, there was plenty of fuel. If everyone just remains calm, just go about your daily business, as long as there isn't a run on gasoline, we'll be fine. And what happened? Everyone went crazy, driving and staying in line to get as much gas as they could, right? Fill up my tank, and then they'd have eight gallon containers and like giant Tupperwares are filling with gasoline. Some Hummer blew up. People were just sucked all the gas. And so everyone was stranded. And right here, folks, we're talking about real power and a pipeline that never shuts off. He says, immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. And what is the working of God's great might? Resurrection power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. He's saying, it's available to you right now. He say, you can just pray for me because this is really hard. Power in Jesus' name available to those who believe right now. The same octane that raised Jesus from the grave, incomparable, atom-splitting, nuclei-fusing, gazillion gallons of water over some hydraulics. Someone help me out. Turbine-turning power. Okay. It's just waiting for at least one amen. All his awesome power to accomplish Christ and, and the Father's plan available to us. And, and so the Ephesians would have been so encouraged because they were struggling with spiritual warfare. There was celebration of pagans and, and Diana, this whole temple to, uh, to some really awful things that one we speak of, of that were happening around them. And he says, all of those evil things, all those names of this age and the age to come, all of it, all that junk will be a footstool for Jesus. Psalm 8 and Psalm 110, Paul says. Do you feel that? Do you feel that power in your life? I don't. And not all the time. Not daily. Sometimes I feel weak and tempted. And then I get into temptation we're tired and tested and overwhelmed. In the morning, there's uncertainty. And up in the middle of the night, I say, God, where are you? I can't sleep. I can't make sense of this. Irrational anxieties can, can grip us and take us on a train going the wrong direction. Fear. We need prayer. We need to keep praying this. And so I would ask you at home and ask all of you here, look around like the person sitting beside you. Think about someone in your life that you could be praying for seven days, just this week from now till next Sunday when we mark one of Pastor Frank's retirements. Who needs prayer in your life to know God more deeply? Would you commit to praying for that person or that family or that individual? The greatness 
of knowing God more deeply. Christ died on the cross for our sin. He rose from the grave. He's now exalted to the right hand of God the Father. Verse 21, all authority and dominion are given to Jesus. He is king over everything, over every power and foe, and he is the head of the body, which is the church. So when the saints, the people of God, are are galvanized in this way, when we put on the armor of God, when we pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, it changes everything. How could Paul have known 2,000 years ago that in our time, in the next couple of years, God's word will be translated so that the entire world can read his love letter. Oh, what God can only do. I'm going to release the high school students and ask Rob and the team to come on out to close our time. You know, I've been asked this several times this week, you know, Pastor Pete, uh, when are we going to get back to normal? Can we get back to normal? When can we go back to the way it used to be? And I, I want to say, I'm glad that we've, we've made some uh, changes based on, on the newest information, but Friends, that's not vision. Saying, let's go back to normal is not vision. Vision is going forward. So I'm not interested in saying, well, let's go back to the way it was before. I'm interested in moving ahead. Amen? Amen? We have power. We have a calling. We have allegiance. We have instructions of what we're to be about. Let's move ahead and serve Christ. Amen.